It's the Totally Football Show, today going pro-rogue on the football weekend. Premier League, slice and dice as Liverpool visit Burnley. Villa v Palace, the match not the Reese mogg holiday dilemma. And Arsenal facing the side with more sterile dominance than the unsullied Spurs in the North London derby. Plus, the end for now of Berry And a strong Swedish flavour too in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, listener. Thanks for joining us today. Who have we got for you? Well, here's Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi, Michael. Your favourite football tactical author, of course. The Mixer, Zonal Marking. Pat, I bet you've enjoyed those. DJ and former footballer DJ Pat Nevin here with us. Yeah, it's good to be kind of back again. It's, it felt it's felt like a long time during the summer. It has been a long time. Yeah. You've been away in France, Women's World Cup. Ah, yeah, yeah, I was roughing it in France in 38 to 40 degrees of heat watching the Women's World Cup. It was fabulous. Good. Glad you enjoyed that. And hello, Sweden. We have Frida Fagerland of Afton Bladed. Pleasure being here. Which bits of the Premier League are Swedish readers most interested in? Uh, well, obviously the the big six, but also, you know, the Swedish players, uh, Victor Lindelof mm. and United. Um, so it's, uh, it's a it's a bit of a mix of everything. Graham Potter as well. Yeah. Yeah. Forgot about him. Yeah. Right. Because, because you know, he, he was that uh, he was the miracle worker at Ostersund, or how should I pronounce that? Ostersund. Yeah. Yeah. That was quite good. Okay. We'll talk a bit more about Ostersund and uh, Graham's new gig uh, with Brighton, of course. Martin Johansson wants to know how is Frieda's new fascination with cricket coming along? Oh, wow. Well, um, I'm getting there uh, painfully slowly. Uh, I was actually at the Tottenham Stadium uh, while England played Australia. Yep. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. correct. Um, yeah, and I didn't understand a thing right. when you know people applauding and, and stuff. But I'm foreign, but I'm getting there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you professionally have to? Is Afton Blood making sure that you cover cricket for no. Sweden? <laughs> all right, okay. Um, Michael, who's your favourite Swedish player of all time in the Premier League? Probably Freddie Jungberg. Is it? Why? He was good fun. He scored some good goals. He right. had a very good relationship with Dennis Burkamp. And I was, I must say, a little bit surprised to see him pop up as Arsenal's assistant manager. Back in his playing days, I didn't think of him as a leader or a great footballing brain or anything like that. But he seems to have done really well for himself and very well respected at Right. Almost expected him to continue thumbing a nose to authority rather than propping up the system. Yes. Yes. Pat, who's your fav- favourite Swedish band? Oh, yeah. If you're going to drop a platter on us right now, buy a Swedish act, who would it right. be? Uh, well, I've, I've always loved the Concretes. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Fantastic band. Um, Victoria Bergsman. And sh- her stuff on their own uh, is fantastic as well. Real fanatic of uh, the Acid House Kings. And every time I say that to anyone, I get a blank look. And they're great. They're really brilliant Swedish pop band. Uh, the Acid House Kings. The Acid House Kings. Right. Very, very fee indie, but dead good. Okay, <laughs> so there's loads. Of, I mean, I just, I actually love and I've always loved Swedish music. Um, and it doesn't get you cover quite as much as it should do in the UK, which is a shit. Well, some areas, areas mm. of it don't. The areas that I like don't. <laughs> Frida, is that a blank look you're giving Pat on the Acid House Kings or are you a fan? So I have no idea. All right. You just said the cardigans. You'd have got that one. Uh, yeah, the mm. cardigans. Yeah. We'll move on to the football then. After this, yes, please. You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Making the lightning seeds sound like Judas Priest, the Acid House Kings jingling and jangling us into the second part of this Totally Football show in which we begin our weekend preview with a fixture as tasty and richly layered as a lasagna, the North London Derby. Who loves Arsenal Spurs or Spurs Arsenal? Yeah, we gave Arsenal Liverpool the big build-up last week as one of the most entertaining fixtures in the Premier League. I think this is probably over the last five or six years. Two good sides who like playing football. These matches aren't cagey. They're usually all out attack. The two games last year were both absolutely fantastic. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to this. Brilliant. It's the derby that both sides, curiously, seem to lose these days. I'm not sure how that works, but Arsenal, stats say, have won just two of their last ten Premier League games against rivals Spurs. Uh, while Spurs have just won just one of their last 26 Premier League visits to Arsenal. They've both got a terrible record in, in this fixture, although Spurs did win 2-0 at the Emirates in the ever-important League Cup last season. Um, Frida, are you um, 
Have you been following Arsenal and Spurs much this season? What, what do you make of them? They're both coming off these big defeats. Which one do you think has been hit harder? Arsenal by getting bullied by Liverpool or Spurs with their frustrating afternoon against uh, Newcastle? Uh, definitely Spurs, to be honest. I mean, I haven't actually seen Spurs play well for a very, very long time, mm. it feels. Um, and I was at uh, the Arsenal game against Burnley at the Emirates and thought that Arsenal actually did a very good game. And and Liverpool, it seems like a case for itself. They played differently, obviously, I mean, tactical and, and so on. So, yeah, I, I feel that Arsenal uh, is probably the one with the better self-esteem at the moment. And Tottenham has a lot to to show, really. Worrying Pochettino, we mentioned on Monday, talking about his team lacking motivation and enthusiasm. It's curious, he's, he's so highly regarded as a manager. Is, is there a reason that he's saying that publicly, do you think? Or is there a genuine problem within the squad? I definitely think that he, everything he says, there's a background story to it, um, especially when he pointed out that, well, I'm not the manager, I'm actually the coach. Um, that shows that, of course, everything he says, he puts his, his mind into it. And yeah, I feel that there's something going on. Uh, and maybe it has, in a way, has to do with the Christian Eriksen situation as well. Because, I mean, he was obviously on the bench against Newcastle again, but now it seems like he's going to stay. So how is Pochettino going to handle that situation? It's going to be very interesting to see. Mm. I'm sure Spurs fans would like to see Jan Vertonghen back in the, the lineup as well. What do you make of the situation at Spurs, Michael? For all the chat about Ericsson and, and what they're doing going forward, I think defensively they look really bad so far. I think they've got a big problem at right back where I know Trippier didn't have a great season last time out, but Carl Walker-Peters has looked, I think, quite shaky. They tried Sissoko there at the end of the game. I'm not sure about that. And then, like you say, they haven't had uh, Vertonghen playing. Sanchez and, and Rose, I thought they were guilty of quite a, a poor concession against Newcastle last week. So I do think there's some holes in the side that Arsenal will exploit, especially when you look at the way Arsenal attacked against Liverpool. I know they didn't score until very late, but I thought Pepe was really exciting. Are they going to do that, though, Arsenal? Are they going to finally play Lacazette beside Obama, Young and Pepe? I mean, if you get all three of them attacking at the same time, any defence in the league, that, that's got to be scary. I watched. I was at the first game against Newcastle that Arsenal played up there in the season, and the, you just thought, why are you putting out a reserve team just now? It's as if he's holding it back, holding it back, and then letting them go. If I would suppose I'd be worried about those three playing together. Mm. I'd like to see Arsenal play Torreira as well. I'm not quite sure why he hasn't been in the side. Every time he comes on, he immediately ups the tempo. Obviously, great technician, but I think the kind of feisty player that Arsenal might need when you look at these fixtures last year, they were very frenetic games. Spurs are very physical in these games. I think he's one of Arsenal's best players. He should be starting every week. I have to say, I go back to Ericsson. I adore you know, Ericsson as a player. I think he's fantastic. I think they look a much better side than Ericsson's playing. Um, Spurs. So when he's not playing, or if he does go, ever, I think that's a massive, massive miss for them. And can I put my hand up here? Right, I'm going to hide under the table as I say this. I have been a big fan of David Luiz for a long, long time. <laughs> and then last week, he had one of those games. Mm. And he can't afford to do that right. for Arsenal. Now, to be honest, I've over the years watching with Chelsea, he had one of those games a couple of times a season. Only that? Yeah. Okay. I went to see all the games. To be honest, if people forget, I watched every game. I had to watch every game of Chelsea the last few years. Particularly enjoyed watching him. Never mentioned unless he made a mistake. All the positives always ignored. Uh, it was a real fake news thing. I thought it was going on. However, you look at when he makes mistakes, everyone notices it. But then again, if you make the type of mistakes he made last weekend, yeah, yeah you'd notice it. Hard not to, yeah. Which of these two sides do you think will finish higher this year, Spurs or Arsenal? I would say Arsenal, on the basis of the season so far. I know it's only three games. I don't think either side have been impressive, to be honest. Even Arsenal's two wins were pretty low-key. But like I say, there are there's some murmurings of discontent at Tottenham, and I do think those defensive problems are concerning. Frida, what's your call? Very difficult to say. Um, I mean, I thought Spurs, so I guess I have to stick to that. No, uh, you don't. You're allowed to change your mind, I even am. in this country. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> I'm actually going to stick to it because you never know what's going to happen and so on. I mean, everything can change in like a month or so. Yeah, that's the tricky bit about doing <laughs> predictions. Never mind, we'll move on then. Oh, here's a question for you. Do you remember that bonkers 4-4 at the Emirates when Arsenal were 4-2 up? Was it not Harry Redknapp's first North London derby and they were in the relegation zone they were losing 4-2 and they came back and drew 4-4? Mm -hmm. Incredible game. Uh, two players with the same initials scored for Spurs. Who were they? The same initials as each other? Yes, Aaron Lennon scored, I think. He did. Is the other one a AL? I'm afraid not. Oh. 
David, if you think, if you think David of, Bentley. Well, there you go. Darren Bent. Exactly. Uh, and that David Bent. And this is only an excuse just to mention that David Bentley goal, which so really. Very loose at the moment. Well, that is an amazing goal. Bentley, the former Arsenal player, has scored an astonishing goal to give Tottenham the lead. That came from nothing. I mean, it's a shame that that was almost his entire career, but still, ranks as a pretty good career just for that goal. Uh, by the way, uh, speaking of all London affairs, listeners, just to let you know that we've got one of our own coming up in about a month's time. Yes, Totally Football is going to be totally live at the Southbank Centre, uh, when I'll be joined by Duncan Alexander, Julian Laurence and James Horncastle. It's happening on Monday the 30th of September. You can get your tickets at southbankcentre.co.uk. Pat, you're not DJing for us that night, but you're very welcome to come along. I think the last time I was there was Werner Herzog retrospective, so this will be just as good. Right, OK. In Dublin, you did uh, do the warm-up, basically. Uh, I did, yeah. And, and Sam Besage in Chathams for a wee while as well. It was great mm -hmm. fun. It was absolutely brilliant fun. Hey, I'll almost certainly be there. <laughs> OK, fantastic. Uh, by the way, if you're uh, listening to this in Liverpool uh, or Belfast... We've got shows coming up there too. Belfast, they've just announced Saturday the 9th of November at the Limelight. Now, after this, bad news at Bury. It's 15 long years since a league title has been seen in North London. Football fans have had to make do with the scraps of FA Cups and Champions League spots. But in order for a team to emerge, they must first declare themselves kings of the urban jungle. And so Paddy Power are offering money back as a free bet if Arsenal beats Spurs this weekend. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. Selected markets only applies to bets on all losing goals, score a correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Tuesday, one of the darkest days in the Football League's recent history, in their own words, as two of the league's oldest clubs, Bury and Bolton, faced liquidation. Now, one of them, Bolton, is now safe, a takeover announced on Wednesday, meaning they can continue in some form in League One. The other, though, Bury, is gone after 134 years of existence. What happens next? Well, we're joined now on the line by Ashley Brown of the Football Supporters Association, the new name for the FSF. Ashley, first of all, thanks for joining us. What can be done to make sure other clubs who might be heading towards similar financial difficulties don't end up in the same mess? OK, there's some very straightforward controls you could put around finances. Um, first of all, you have to look at where money is borrowed from and what it is allowed to be used for. So, you know, as an example, borrowing money at ridiculous interest rates to just fund players on the pitch is not a way to operate a football club. It's going to go wrong at some point. Being able to sell off or mortgage off your stadium to risk on-field performance improval, again, is wrong. Um, you have to take control of the way in which people can put money into football clubs. If you look at the Berry situation, there were countless financial transactions that were clearly wrong, including one loan which basically compounded up to 138% interest. Another loan at Berry uh, was taken out, mortgaged against the stadium for 3.7 million. 40% of that loan never actually found its way to the football club. It went off in finder's fees. It's just clearly poor and crooked financial management that shouldn't be allowed. Ashley, what happens next to Bury, and how sorted are Bolton, in your opinion? Um, so, look at Bury. First of all, I mean, I, I know the fans are, are looking to try and find a way to get the decision reversed. Personally, I think that's unlikely, but of course they have to try. Best thing for Bury is that the fans group together, unify behind a cause to build a Phoenix club. Um, and that Phoenix club finds a way to somehow raise the money to acquire Gig Lane. Berry Council could be absolutely key in that happening and could be supportive. And once you've got Gig Lane, then you create a new football club and it feels like you're still the same football club because Gig Lane is the spiritual home. But unfortunately, that club can't play in any leagues until um, next summer. It's going to have to go through a process of applying to be in the league. I would be hopeful that perhaps they could find a position for maybe as high as the Northern Premier League. And then they've got to work their way back up to the Football League. It's been done before. It's possible. Fans just have to focus and unify 
and it's going to be a lot of hard work. And Bolton? Bolton, um, well, they're, they're, they're safe for, for now. Uh, it's obviously going to be a very difficult season for them. Um, they're coming into the season pretty much a month or so after everybody else. They don't really have any players. They're going to have to go and find some. Uh, they're still on minus 11 points. It's going to be a long, hard season, and they may find that they have to go down before they can build back up again. Now, hopefully, Football Ventures are the right people for the club. Um, I have had my concerns in relation to how long it's taken to do that deal and how it's been funded. Um, but we have to hope that the administrator has done a proper and effective job here and found um, a good custodian for the club. And hopefully we won't find Bolton back in a similar situation in a year or two. Excellent. Ashley, thank you very much for joining us. By the way, if anybody wants to uh, keep up to date on the FSA's moves towards safeguarding clubs in the future and helping Barry, perhaps, uh, what's the address? Yeah, we're, you can still find us on our old um, websites of supportersdirect.org.uk or the fsf.org.uk or our new one, the fsa.org.uk. Ashley Brown of the FSA. Frida, when you look at it, is this just one of the many crazy things in this country that you think, how do they allow things to be run this way? I don't know, really. Um, I mean, it's completely different in Sweden, obviously, with the 51% rule. Um, when you the don't... 51% rule is what? That fans must own? Yeah, 51% right. of the club, which basically makes it impossible for companies and very rich owners to take control entirely of a club. So we don't have these examples. Uh, and obviously, I mean, sometimes it's good having one owner but i mean apparently there are bad cases as well absolutely because i mean we mentioned there's a lot of other clubs who have been through similar difficulties or or will be heading or look like they're possibly heading towards these things michael the, the prospect of them coming back as a phoenix club a la afc wimbledon i guess and it's a romantic story it's not always that easy to do though no, the important thing is that they that the supporters seize control of the ground. Seize is the wrong word. If they claim control of the ground, um, that's a very important step. Mm. All right. Well, back to the football after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Brighton are playing at Man City this weekend. Frida, are you going along? No, I'm actually going to Brentford. Are you on Saturday? Ah, yes. Okay. Yeah. To see. Sweden's greatest footballing export at the moment. Yeah, Pontus Jansson. Right, yeah. okay, great. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about Pontus uh, later on. Brighton are going to be at Man City, though. Uh, they've never beaten City and Manchester, ever. But Graham Potter did go there with Swansea last year in the FA Cup and took a 2-0 lead. Admittedly, they subsequently lost 3-2 and were eliminated. But still... Pretty exciting stuff. How, how do you rate the uh, the new look Brighton's chances of, of pulling off some phenomenal upset there? I'd be surprised. I've been impressed by the way that they've played so far. I think he's genuinely has revolutionised the club in a very short period of time. Often when you try to do that, there's a period of six, seven, eight games where the fans are almost having to buy into it despite bad results, but the results have been good. But I can't see them getting results at City, sorry. Hmm. Do you, are you on board with this revolution? Um, yes, I am. I wasn't at the start because I didn't like the way they got rid of the previous manager uh, who had done nothing wrong in my view. However, that's not Graham Potter's fault. Listening to Graham Potter, he's an extraordinarily interesting guy. Um, his background in not just football, but more specifically the other things that he studied is incredibly interesting. I think he looks, you know... He's not just basically inside books all the time, but he's read everything there is in the subject of management and understanding people and understanding players. And he is, if anyone's at the forefront of how to do that, it's him. I mean, he's an absolute joy to listen to. Problem is, it's not about listening to him. It's about going out and winning games. Mm. And uh, was it Southampton? They had a 2-0 defeat against Southampton. Mm. That was a tough one for them to take. Obviously, South Coast, uh, they would have been happy with that. But... Again, was it? I'm guessing it was about 17th, maybe there was something like that last season. Well, yeah, it was touch and go until the exactly. end. So, in, in actual fact, you know, if they get roughly that again, I still think it's a good job. Okay. How is Graham regarded in Sweden after his phenomenal uh, success at Ostersund? Uh, Very highly, uh, of course. Um, I actually went to the opening game against Watford and had a chat with him at the pre-match press conference and um, I mean he's still this genuine down-to-earth uh, guy who is very kind uh, very polite and I actually think that one of his greatest assets 
is probably his his great uh, teaching skills uh, and i think that's why he's had all these success because the players they understand completely how they're supposed to play uh, both in the defense and of course the the attacking play as well and i've never met a single player who's had a bad word for him um so he's very very popular uh, and i'm really pleased that he's do- been doing this well excellent the yeah, ostersons is his former side are currently i think mid-table in the ulsvenskan ulsvenskan which is the top division listener in Sweden. Uh, But to put that in perspective, where were they before he came along? They were actually in the fourth tire. You know, he did something uh, that is very rare uh, and very amazing. Not just that he, you know, took them to to Allsvenskan, but also that they actually went, you know, winning uh, the Swedish Cup, the Europa League qualifications, uh, and then ending up at the Emirates uh, beating Arsenal. I mean... It's it's a fairy tale, um, but I mean now the reality is actually that they've been struggling a lot since he left, sure. uh, and they've had some troubles financially as well, and with the chairman um, and so on. So um, now they're struggling, um, and they uh, really miss him. I can say Brighton, the the big benefactors of his move though, after his time at Swansea City, uh, where he's been working, I imagine, on the small passing. Small passing. No, smear passing. Oh, smear passing. Smear passing. Sorry Why did about you look that. Even said that. Sorry. Small passing. Never mind. <laughs> no, which is uh, a butter pass. Is that right? Frida? Yeah. What, what does is. that mean? Um, it's a very delicate pass. Okay. Like yeah. Inch perfect. Oh, yeah. Smear passing. Yeah. Right. Excellent. That's a great I'm phrase, so isn't it? I'm so confused at the moment. <laughs> Do you know if, if he's his master's degree, Graham Potter's is. Um, leadership and emotional intelligence. Right, there you go. I didn't know that existed as a master's. That is absolutely extraordinary. He's also got qualifications in reindeer history and making footballers do ballet as well. Famously, See, I'm worrying in case of... you're making this up and winding me up. <laughs> no, no, no. He genuinely did that at Ostersund, didn't he? Yeah, but to be fair, that was actually all the club. I mean, the club is actually quite an odd bird within Swedish football. Um, so, I mean, the chairman and the club make the players do all these things like singing and dancing and everything to... I guess to to bind them together. Mm. I mean, at some point, but um, I mean, it worked uh, at least. Absolutely. Uh, but it's not making uh, the Brighton players do it. Okay. Uh, if you enjoyed smooth passing, then uh, do enjoy this as Frida tells us about Blåbärs lag. What does that mean? Uh, that means uh, kind of a, a a very small team. Okay. What yeah. does it literally mean? Uh, blueberry team. Okay, because blueberries are small. Oh, very small, yeah. So uh, Ursusons were a, a blabber slag. <laughs> yeah, Is that were, right? Yeah. Stay with me, listeners. We learn more Swedish. How about this one here, Frida? What's that? Oj, strumprullare. Strumprullare? Yeah, rullare. rullare. I'm actually from the southern part of Sweden, so okay. my accent is it's not very good for this. We didn't want to mention it, but <laughs> okay, what does strumprullare mean? Basically, when you hit the ball on volley. Sock rolling, is that right? It's it's not a good volley, but oh, you know, when you it's shin just, it, basically. Yeah, yeah. Okay. By the way, Michael, if you're hungry for other Swedish footballing expressions, do you know where you can find them? Do you speak football? That's right, by Tom Williams. Available now. All right, then. <laughs> Just one last thing. When you say Graham Potter's revolutionised Brighton, I, I, I read that a lot. Could you give me a specific thing that he's done that I can look out for next time I see Brighton play? Well, they're playing a completely different brand of football. They're defending high up the pitch. They're playing with three at the back. They're playing with wing backs overlapping. I quite liked it last weekend when you saw uh, the lad Montoya, who was playing right wing back, popped up on the penalty spot for a headed opportunity. Now, I know that's a very small thing, but I think it shows the licence that he's given players like that after, you know, three years of... A very successful football under Chris Hutton in terms of getting promotion. But with the outlay that they spent last summer on some very good technical attacking players, I think they needed to move in a different direction to get the best out of some of them. But as I said, I think last week, the interesting thing for me has been the fact Glenn Murray has been so pivotal in, in right. their performances so far. And the Southampton defeat last weekend, I wouldn't read much into that because they went down to 10 men within 15 minutes or something. So that was an uphill task. I think they're a good team, but this will be a, a difficult game for them. 
Listeners, Frida's from Sweden, the home of Volvo, a very sensible car for sensible people. But if you want to experience the thrill of driving each month, you want to get yourself a copy of Evo, the world's premier performance car magazine. Created by the greatest automotive writers and photographers in the industry, Evo delivers the most original motoring content on the market, with features on the car of the year and the inside scoop on Lotus's new £2 million, 2,000 horsepower electric hypercar. Woof. Because you listen to the Totally Football Show, you can get five issues of Evo for just £5, plus a free exclusive A3 poster book with 20 individual glossy pictures from the magazine's best shoots. Head to subscribe.evo.co.uk slash TFS to start your trial and get the next issue of Evo delivered to your door before it hits the shops. That's five issues for just £5 at subscribe.evo.co.uk slash TFS. Evo Magazine for the thrill of driving. Let's talk about Man City's big rivals at the top, Liverpool, who meanwhile are at Burnley. Now, we mentioned on Monday that almost exactly three years ago, Liverpool enjoyed a big win over Arsenal and then went to Turf Moor. They had 80% possession and lost 2-0. Could it happen again, Pat Nevin? It can always happen. Um, it's already happened in a few games this season where teams had lots more possession and don't win the game. It, there's been a real change, I think, in the last couple of years that you know, people have been saying, yeah, possession is nine-tenths of the law and you, if you have more possession, you'll win the game. Actually, there's plenty of systems out there and methodologies out there that are actually deliberately getting less possession and playing on the break. And Burnley are one of the teams that do that and they do it incredibly well. So, And it's hard to play against it because you've set that deep against certain teams. And if you play against Salah, if you're playing against particularly Sané Mane, you do not want to give any space whatsoever in behind. Burnley have made a strong start to the season. Even last yeah. year when they were maybe suffering from a European hangover, Liverpool needed a 90th-minute goal to get the victory. That was a really tough game for Liverpool. Mm. I mean, they won, I think it was 3-1 in the end, wasn't it? But, that, I mean, that was the game where Joe Gomez got injured. There was a couple of really tough tackles. Uh, it was like a horrible, windy midweek in December and Klopp was really quite upset with Burnley afterwards about the you know, the ferociousness of the tackles. You can imagine what, you know, Daesh was completely unapologetic. So I think we can expect Burnley to kind of be ultra-physical for this one, right. having kind of unsettled Liverpool last year, albeit they they eventually lost. And Ashley Barnes against Adrian? You know, maybe you watch some goalkeepers go through a quietish time or a different... Quietish is not the answer, not the correct description of that, but go through a difficult time. He's capable. He's well capable. Adrian? Yeah. Is he capable yeah. of what, though? That's the question. Holding Pat. it together I see. for a period of time until they get themselves right. <laughs> OK. I think it's not about him. It's about Van Dijk, in simple terms. Is know? it? Yeah. OK, if, and Trent Alexander-Arnold as well. Who? Um, well, yeah, I thought he was excellent last weekend against Arsenal. I mean, Dyche will uh, obviously play a different system to uh, Emery, but I think that's... Apart from the front three, I think Alexander Arnold's the player you've got to deal with. You can't leave him. You wouldn't think yeah. Robertson as well because of the amount of goals he created last season because I thought Robertson was phenomenal last season. I think he's a very good player, but I think Robertson is a very good attacking fullback. A kind of a modern attacking fullback. I think Alexander Arnold offers real playmaking qualities that See, is this, very this is rare. An England Scotland thing. We're going to have an England Scotland argument here because you're having a go. At, uh, let, let me let me instead posit that that this fixture represents the twin sides of the kind of often fractured English footballing psyche. Liverpool with their go ahead and essentially continentally inspired pressing, newfangled kind of fast paced approach, and Burnley with their Burnliness. Well, first of all, I'm I'm very pleased to see that Burnley is back to being this solid defence and I actually thought that Arsenal they struggled a bit uh, when they went to when they um, were playing against each other at Emirates Um, but I mean obviously uh, Burnley when it was half an hour left they they sort of became a lot tired and I think that is what probably was going to happen against Liverpool as well because it's very very hard to both be defending against you know the, the front three uh, and Alexander-Arnold and you have Robertson on the other side there's so many players to keep an eye at so um, yeah I think that Liverpool is probably going to uh, win 2-1 two 2-0 one, two maybe okay. uh, in the end so. Alright with Sean Dyche roaring from the sidelines although Probably even more hoarse than usual because he was he was seen um, larging it or whatever the correct phrase would be uh, in, at the Reading Festival. 
Mm. He went down with his kids. Who was he watching? Well, he, the, the bands he mentioned, or whether the, the artists that he mentioned afterwards, Post Malone, who isn't really his thing, he said, but uh, his kids loved him. And so, but he, he had a lot of love for 21 Pilots. Not sure if you're familiar mm -hmm. with them, another American kind of band on the cusp of, you know, where we're in that nexus between rock and guitar and, and, and rap and that. Good place to be. Well, yeah, essentially. Hey, listener, after this, we're going to be heading down to St. Mary's. The weekend gets underway at St. Mary's as Southampton take on Man United. You, football journalist, it's a fascinating visit for a troubled Man United side to a Saints team that's eager for an upset. Me, an intellectual, it's the game with the jerseys. All right, you win, Michael. Yeah, I mean, during that period, United often struggled. That was obviously the period when Manchester United were overwhelmingly successful, but I think they lost three in a row at Southampton. Yeah. There was the grey jersey game, there was the 6-3, and there yeah. was a... A 1-0. And now Manchester United, not such a good team. Southampton have struggled against them. And funnily enough, since the move to St Mary's, they, no visiting side has won there more often than the Man United have. How dangerous, dangerous rather, do Saints look? They have had the victory that we talked about before against Brighton, which was facilitated by the red card. But they also picked up a, a win midweek in the League Cup against Fulham with another clean sheet, actually. Would you and also taking on a Man United side that seems to be a little bit in disarray? What do you think? Yeah, I think you know. I think Southampton got a good chance here. I've enjoyed watching them since Hassan Hutel uh, took over. I think they've signed a couple of good players. Che Adams is a threat up front. Uh, the guy Gianepo scored a really good goal last weekend. Um, I think could be a, a counter-attacking threat in this game up against Juan Bissaka, who I still think can be uh, caught a little bit out of position. Hmm. Um, and Nathan Redmond as well, I think, has been in really good form back end of last season, start of this season. I still think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a very strange manager to be at Manchester United. And I think Ralph Hasenhutl, a guy who finished second in the Bundesliga, basically just an excellent tactician, a good man manager, good at bringing through young players. I think he's the sort of player, uh, sorry, the sort of manager that Manchester United should have tried to appoint in the summer and might well go back for at some point. Right, and might make them regret it this weekend. Possibly. A lot of people commenting on the departure of Alexis Sanchez to Inter. Man United essentially paying him to go away. They're, they're paying most of his wages at the, at the Nerazzurri. The last person to head over there, Lukaku, debuted with a goal and looked lean and hungry on Monday in their game with, with Lecce. And we now understand that Chris Smalling is also departing the club. He's heading to Roma. So, interesting. I mean, I know that these are not players that necessarily fitted into their programme, but what is their programme? Well, the, the difficulty appears to be... I mean, they put a lot on Harry Maguire, right? That's a massive, massive decision. And they probably needed to get a player like him five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. You know, it's been a long, long time since they've had that position settled. He will do a good job for them. And no worries about that at all. I agree with Michael about wan -Bissaka. I like him as a player, particularly going forward. But for that amount of money you kind of want the entire package and it's not the entire package not yet anyway but I mean but you can't help like him as a player because he's so positive is there an overall direction overall view I'm not convinced there is to be honest I can't see it because you look at you know you look at Arsenal I can see where they're going now you know they, they buy Tierney they try and get the centre back sorted out they've really attacked me all that sort of stuff this as it has been for many years now with Manchester United looks piecemeal I see. And their prospects this weekend at St Mary's? T tough. Last time I was down there for a game down there um, with Manchester United, it was when Mourinho was the manager. Oh, was it uh, when Mark Hughes got fired for not beating him? Yeah. And it was the weirdest thing because Southampton battered the living daylights at them for the last 20 minutes because it, it was the worst part of the bus I've ever seen in my life from Man United. They all just sat back there. The good thing is, that won't happen this week. Right, OK. Oh, this can be one of the rare games in the Premier League this weekend that will feature a Swede, Frida, mm. Victor mm. Lindelof. Uh, there's only two Swedish players in the top flight. The other one being? Kraft. That's correct. Is that his name? That's correct, yeah. Emil Kraft in uh, Newcastle. I yes. actually spoke to him uh, on Sunday after okay. the Tottenham game. Wow. How is he feeling? Uh, very good. He was obviously very happy about the win, but he also was very happy with Steve Bruce. Was he? Yeah. OK. Because so Steve Bruce gets a lot of negative, yeah. lot of negative press. Yeah. What did what did uh, Emil say about him? Um, well, he he actually basically said, uh, "Well, he's he's a funny guy, and I have nothing bad to to say about him." Um, 
and that was about it. But still, it, it wasn't positive words. It, it right. wasn't really... Yeah. To be fair, players will very rarely say, I'm so glad yeah. that a journalist has asked me about my current manager. I will now really spill the beans. <laughs> That's but, really true. Yeah. But, but Just on Lindelof, yeah. I thought that was a really poor goal they conceded to Palace last weekend. A Lindelof getting out jumped by Jeffrey Schlock, right. who's like a short left winger. And then Maguire was absolutely miles away, not even looking to cover. I mean, Maguire's a good player, but you've got to get... A, and I know they're only three games in, but I thought that was a dreadful goal. It was so easy for Palace to score that. Right. Newcastle this weekend are going to try and follow that victory up in uh, what looks a pretty important fixture. They're at home to Watford. I know you saw last weekend against West Ham, didn't you? Yep. Uh, so are you quite optimistic about Newcastle's chances of continuing this Brucey bounce? No, not really. I thought oh. Watford were the better side against West Ham for the really? first half hour. Okay. I thought they played excellently. And, uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you're a fan of expected goals, chat, but Watford's is 4.27 and they've scored one goal. So it's really been the finishing that's let them down. Right. And I thought it was interesting to see them play without Deeney. Who, okay. of course, has completely dominated their attacking play for the last few years. They played De Lufeo and Gray up front. And they played some brilliant passes through to each other. There was one in the first 10 minutes, I think, where Gray angled a diagonal ball through to De Lufeo and he hit the bar. Such a good pass. And they combined as well for the goal scored by Gray. And then at 1-0, uh, Will Hughes missed an open goal from two yards, which was De Lufeo combining with Gray. It'll be a different game this weekend. I, I don't think Newcastle have been quite good so far, actually. Um, but I... Really hope they give Javi Gracia a chance because I think he's a really intelligent manager and I think he would get them out of trouble. All right, Watford currently in last place on a six-game losing streak in which uh, they've been outscored by their opponents 16 goals to three. Our friend Emma Saunders is very much the voice of the Hornets. She sent us this little take on how the mood is there at Vicarage Road. Well, there's no denying uh, it has been a disappointing start. It is there for everybody to see. But for now, it does seem to be a bit more of a blip than a crisis. I think there is the feeling that a couple of wins, they'll be up and running again. I suppose the issue going forward is where can Watford build that momentum? Because even if they do get something out of Newcastle this weekend, it's Arsenal, then Manchester City, then Wolves on the horizon. And Watford did take just three points off the top six last season. But I do think beating Coventry so comfortably midweek probably will provide a bit of a bounce but how much of a bounce will probably depend on how many of those 11 changes that Gracia made he decides deserve to keep their place on Saturday he has been quite stubborn and stuck with the same Premier League squad recently but maybe it is time to consider the likes of Cabasele, Daryl Yamat certainly where the back line is concerned if he doesn't, and there is another big fat red L in the results column, uh, I do think pressure is going to mount. But are Watford in the thick of a relegation battle? With a squad like that, I would be surprised. Newcastle, Watford. Frida, where have all the Swedes gone? Just on a kind of tangential note. There used to be loads of them. Yeah, they're everywhere. But, I mean, Championship is pretty crowded. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Pontus Janssen, as you say, at Brentford, and you're going to go and chat with him on Saturday. Yeah, that's the plan. I see. It's it's always... (laughs) It's always in, in pencil until they actually turn up. Yeah, but he's actually a nice guy and he's very chatty. Um, Is he? Yeah. So. Okay, who's your favourite Swedish footballer? Oh, can Volta, I really say of that loud? Of all time? Yeah, Do you mean on the pitch or in person? Well, or? Either way. Which ones of them are, are really nice? Have you spoken to the lion? The lion? Yeah, Zlatan. Oh, yeah, I have. Right. To, to be fair, he, he was uh, in a very grave mood when I spoke to him. Really? Yeah, because he, um, um, he was during his time in United and he was actually just opening a uh, paddle court in Stockholm. Okay. Do you know paddle? You know, the tennis? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is it like squash or something like yeah, that? Kind of. Kind Real of, tennis yeah. kind of thing. And he was very, very happy, smiling, and you know. So yeah, maybe I should say. Oh, I thought you said grave mood. He was in a happy mood. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's generally pretty pleased with life, isn't he? And why wouldn't he be? Yeah, but there's some a few stories from his time during. Julian Laurent's got a great story about Zlatan. Can we tell the Julian Laurent story about Zlatan in the bar? No, okay. So uh, if you want to come along to our live show, Julian will be there on the 30th of September. Julian will tell that story. It's only about 30 seconds long, but worth it, you know. Anyway, uh, who's your favourite? Go on then, Pat. You're itching to tell us your favourite Swedish player of all time. Uh, well, Henrik. 
any Henry Larson. most players if you have one name you say the name and just purely as a player as a coach I'm not overly convinced okay. <laughs> um, but as a player he was fantastic and when he went to United and when he went over to Spain he looked in that class after spending most of his career in Celtic and just have a look at the goals they were absolutely incredible um, there was one guy I was going to ask you about Stefan Rehn, does that name mean anything oh, to you? Oh, Stefan Rehn. Yeah, uh, but I mean, being 26 years old, uh, he, to me, he's just a coach, uh-huh. really. But it's Tens, is that the name is? Yeah, it's it's quite one of the smaller clubs. Yeah. Lovely player, a kind of dark-haired kind of guy who used to play for Everton for a short period of time oh, yeah. when there weren't many Swedes playing in uh, British football. And he was a very, very good technical footballer. Okay. Uh, what was it? Did you, you played against Steve Bruce as well, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. What was he like to play against? Um, just, they were fine. They weren't dirty. Uh, no. They were good, strong, sensible. Yeah, him and, you know, like, like Sapali and all the rest of it. They're all kind of okay players to play against. The ones, when you ask a question, basically, I, I usually think, right, did he kick lumps out of me? Right. And he wasn't one of them. No, there he were plenty of others. Fellow. Apart from the time when he painted my banister, he seems a what? That's, a, that's one for our, our live show, probably. Um, now, uh, oh, Michael, sorry, your favourite. Is it Freddie Lundberg, did you say before? Probably him. Well, I like I like reading about the kind of really old Swedish side. They got to the World Cup final in 58, 58 right? Yeah. And had like Gunnar Nordahl and mm. Kurt Hammer. And I was, re- I was reading a book about the history of the World Cup recently. And I found that side really interesting. Good. But obviously, I never saw any of them play. No. But that no. was the golden era, right? Yeah. Legends in Italy, too. That's really sad if that's the golden era. Sorry. There'll be another one. Yeah, the first golden 94 era. as well, during of the course, World Cup yeah. in, in okay. the US. So, yeah. All right. That's about it. I was going to say Olaf Mjöldberg. Is that pronounced right? Yeah. Okay. Mjöldberg. Since we're pronouncing things, how do you pronounce Kim Kallström? Kim Kjellström. Right. Of course. So the K at the start of that word completely... Yeah, it's a sh sound. Excellent. How do you pronounce Thomas Brolin? Thomas Brolin. Brolin. Excellent. Okay. He's one of my favourites as well. I always think of him at Palmer alongside Faustino Sprillian. Weren't those great days? But then he had so many other uh, fecund passages in his career, like when he was at Leeds or when he became player manager at Crystal Palace alongside Attilio Lombardo. And he's got a pretty interesting career now because did he not have a stint as a vacuum cleaner salesman? Yeah, he did. And he, he has a bar or a restaurant yeah, as well. Yeah, I, I don't know where he's up to nowadays, okay. actually. But he he pops up, you know, every now and then, mm. you know, in some TV shows. Or he's he's still living on that Euro 92. He scored the winner against England. Is that right? Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Him and Darlene famously oh. combined and one would their way through the England defence. My word. I was, too, anyway. I was too busy in the other group playing for Scotland against Germany, Netherlands and CS stroke Russia. Back uh, when you used to qualify. Got, well, yeah, exactly. Mm. And do you know what? That was basically unfair. That's a terrible group. It <laughs> is. And actually, Dalin mm. uh, yes. is uh, the agent to Pontus Janssen. Is he? So we were back, like, yeah. Okay. The circle, please. Very nice. Very nice. Now, um, the Premier League weekend also features Palace, who we kind of tangentially mentioned, fresh from their victory at Old Trafford, as predicted by Michael Cox. They are going to be... Oh, they're hosting Villa on Saturday. Palace are horrible at home. And Villa on a roll. They put six goals past, who was it, uh, Crew in the League Cup midweek. Mm-hmm. Michael, what's your Palace prediction this time? I think it'll be tight. I, I was quite impressed with Villa against Everton. Mm. Thought they were. It was great to see not just a good performance, but Villa Park. There was just a feel-good atmosphere around it, and you just didn't have that for the the final three or four seasons in the Premier League. There was such a kind of negative vibe around, understandably because they're playing bad football and getting bad results. And now they've got an exciting team. They've got a manager who obviously supported the club. They've got Jack Grealish, who's probably up there with Zaha with before. Zaha's transfer request, but that kind of like, he's one of them, you know. I think this will be a tight game. I would say a draw if I had to guess. Would you? Okay. Anybody got any strong feelings about that one or shall I move on? I'd just very quickly like to say that McGinn's one of my favourite players playing football at the moment. Excellent. What do you like most about him, Pat? Apart from the fact he used to be a hubby in my team, but um, you cannot watch that guy playing football and not smile and not enjoy it because he covers as much ground as anyone else. You can no doubt have a look at some of the stats on that at some point. The amount of effort that guy puts on every single game that I've ever watched him play is extraordinary. Villa fans, I told them before he arrived, you will love him. They do. 
I really like that goal he scored against Tottenham because you just don't see that run enough from midfielders, like getting on the end of a long ball. Mm. And I think it's quite difficult to pick up because it, does the opposition midfield pick him up? The centre-backs have got to watch the striker. I just really That's thought it was him. a good goal. That is absolutely nailed on what he is and what he's done and what he's like. He's uh, So many people, obviously I watched him all the way through his Hibernian times and one of the very few in Scottish football, I thought, do you know what, Premier League? Yeah, fine, your management. Excellent. Chelsea, your former side, Pat, are taking on Sheffield United Saturday at three o'clock. Ariel Simon says, please ask Pat about Tammy Abraham being the long-term answer or not. Hope so, says Harry. Two goals for Tammy last yeah. weekend. What a wonderful, beautiful story. Um, I've been watching Tammy since about 14 or 15, comes through in the youth department. There's a lot of players that come through. As we all know, mm. he's always been the one for me. He's always been the Why, one. Why, Pat? Um, attitude brilliant um, strength physique all that sort of technique is extremely good as well tall lad but when others are swanning about you know looking as if they're enjoying being a footballer and being recognised being a footballer he's enjoying doing it playing loving getting better all the time put the physique on top of that as well um, and a tiny little thing called natural goal scorer mm. which he is um, and that's a real surprise because there's so few of them around and uh, you're just not seeing it that much. So of all the players that have come through, yes, Odoi's been great and Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, uh, wow, but what a shock, but wow, how well he's done. But if I had to bet any of them over the past seven or eight or nine years coming through, Tammy's always been the one. And he's the long-term answer for Chelsea up front? I I wouldn't be surprised. I can't say yes. You can't say yes. The reason why you can't say yes is because have a look at the world-class centre-forwards that Chelsea have had up there and didn't do it. It's a hard place sometimes to actually play that position. You have that big number nine in the back. Um, and if if you struggled, if your name's Higuain or Torres, and you could go on and on and on with some of the names of Chenko. Mm. So it's easy to say, you know, yeah, he should be the answer. I hope he is, and I'm beginning to expect him to be. OK. Sheffield United in ninth place for, for what it's worth after three matches. And having received plaudits from all and sundry for their exciting tactical approach so far this season, they've also got Ravel Morrison, who of course was at uh, Ostersund with yeah. uh, with Graham Parsons. Yeah, he wasn't any good. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he's most famous for driving around with his cousin um, outside his car, like on the roof. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, no one knows why, but apparently there's not many things to do in Östersund. Okay. Um, what kind yeah. of place is Östersund? Um, it, it's a town in the north. Right. Uh, not really a football town, uh-huh. uh, or at least it wasn't before. Uh, lots of snow, very cold. Right. Yeah, you usually don't go there to watch football at all least. Right. All right. Or ride around on top of a car. Yeah, uh, no. exactly. Well, it, it, we're all, you know, fingers crossed he is going to blossom uh, there at Sheffield United. Is it though? What? Like with Ravel Morrison, everyone's like, oh, let's hope he comes good. But he hasn't played football, good football for a long time and he doesn't seem like a particularly likeable bloke. Why are we always crossing our fingers? Just because it will be good football? Because, yeah. he, because yeah. he has brilliant technique of the very, very highest standard. But the likelihood of him doing it is one in ten best. No, I've just got to say, I, I went down to um, Bournemouth for the first game of the season, Sheffield United away. I know it's a bit of a cliche to say about a newly promoted team, but the team spirit and the togetherness and the authority that uh, Wilder has with the players and the fans was great. And I'm really surprised they brought in a player like Morrison. I know he's very talented, but I think there's more chance of him messing things up than there is in playing great football. Surely you need a joker, a wild card now and again, especially if you're that structured and that organised. Now, they've got Billy Sharp to bring in something. who's an amazing, amazing goal scorer. At a lower level, but I think you're capable of giving chances here. But something different to throw in there now and again. And, you know, it's a chance. I still think it's a long old shot. What What are the chances of Sheffield United handing Chelsea another setback this weekend? I think it'd be difficult. And, uh, you know, lots of us, myself included, have, have found them really fascinating, the way they play with the centre-backs pushing forward. But that caught them out last weekend for that Vardy goal. Um, so I think Chelsea will maybe look to exploit that. I think it could be a game for... For Abraham, actually, I was really impressed with his movement into the channels last weekend. The second goal he scored was fantastic. I thought really intelligent to know the keeper's weight was shifting that way and cut it back across him. So I'd fancy Chelsea. We're not been quite impressed by Chelsea so mm-hmm. far, even when they lost at United. If Abraham's hadn't hit the post, you know, if it had gone in, completely different game at Old Trafford, and I think we'd be talking about Chelsea quick, a different way. Ask a quick question around the table, and this is a question I knew the answer to beforehand was always no, no, and no. Do you quite like Chelsea now? 
Yeah, I'm not averse <laughs> to them. <laughs> but, but this season specifically, the way they play, that I, I find them likable. Right. You know, even though I... I What's the difference? Is it Frank? It's the youngsters. It's the methodology. It's the, it's the pushing forward, really. But not just a high press. It's, it's more than that. The good technical players have got up front as well. And sticking with Tammy. Right. Sticking with Pulisic. And Mason Mount And Mason well. Mount. You know, you kind of think, yeah... Right. What about another of your former sides, Everton? How likeable are they under Marco Silva as they head into this weekend's clash with Wolves? We, we talked a lot last last season about how much I adored uh, Moiser. Keen, yes. as he is now, renamed himself. Has <laughs> he? I telling everybody it was Moiser Ken last year. Yeah, so he's come out and said no Keen. Yeah, Keen now, apparently. Oh. So he's changing it. <laughs> I think he's got a different name for every country. But he was fabulous last season for mm. UV, particularly when it was coming on as a sub. Now, he played in the game the other night there in the Carabao. He didn't score and, and went off, but that was, his, was that, that was his first start, was it, for Everton? In time, if he shows what he did show with Juventus, that is amazing. And if, I really would go so far as had... Everton managed to get Zaha the way they were trying to I would have been suggesting top four for them I think there's that much quality going forward if they've got Zaha that that was on the cards with Richarlison with Moise Keane had he done what he's capable of doing it could have been incredible for that club wow Everton, who had a defeat of course last weekend to Villa scraping past uh, Lincoln midweek in the Carabao Cup Wolves are going to be playing Thursday night in the Europa League qualifiers, 3-2 up from their uh, away leg against Torino in Turin. Uh, and then this Sunday, a battle of the Portuguese managers. Do you have strong feelings about Everton Wolves? Strong feelings? I don't no. know. Um, I actually haven't been that impressed. Uh, how, how, about, how about Leicester and Bournemouth? Does that, does that light <laughs> your fire anymore? Yeah, because I, I really enjoy watching Madison play football okay. at the moment. Mm. So, uh, yeah, and I like Leicester overall. Uh, I think they're going to be uh, quite a competitor to the top six, actually. Or okay. at, at least I hope so. Right, Leicester beat uh, Newcastle on penalties in that Carabao Cup. I mean, there were loads of Carabao Cup results. There are appropriate websites you know, for you to use if you want to find out. Although, let's mention Jack Butland uh, scoring the winning penalty for Stoke against Leeds United after coming unstuck for a, a Leeds goal earlier on in the game. That was quite exciting, wasn't it? Um, good. Anyway, so Leicester, Bournemouth, that's very much on your watch list. And, and West Ham, Norwich? I'm a big fan of Temu Puki. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to see if he can score again. Uh, you obviously never watched him at Celtic. honestly you know how so what's the difference between him at Celtic and and what he's doing now at Carrow it's a a great question and it's something just so difficult to to understand that you're playing with players that might suit you better you get a good start and you play with confidence particularly if you're a centre forward all those sort of things but I'll hand up there I never saw that coming absolutely didn't can I mention one other quick player at Norwich Todd Cantwell. Right. Wow. Him and, and Wendir, is that the difference? Is that why Pookie's suddenly doing so well? Um, I actually spoke to Pookie uh, mm. after the Chelsea game um, and he talked about, you know, his time in Celtic and why it wasn't working out. And it was actually in Brumby, the Danish side, that he um, became a lot more comfortable uh, and he started to, you know, eat properly, sleep properly, train properly. Uh, and a lot of those things actually made him you know a better player and uh, he's he's having a great time in Norwich uh, he loves the team he loves uh, Falke so I guess there's a lot of you know things into it but he was a big talent when he came through uh, in Finland everyone was talking about oh, it oh really yeah and they are I mean people are going crazy in Finland at the moment because they're so happy to see him perform at this level five goals in three he could become the third player to net in his opening four appearances if he scores this weekend against West Ham the other two to do it Diego Costa and Mickey Quinn so <laughs> <laughs> that's a great combination mm. um, whilst we're on this fixture could we mention the uh, centre forward for the other side, Sebastian Allaire. Yeah, yeah, I was. I saw him at uh, Watford last weekend. Super impressed with him. It's such a contrast from West Ham last year. West Ham last year had three potential options up front: had Hernandez, who's the poacher; Carroll, who was the target man; and Arnautovic, who was the kind of technical guy. Haller, I think, is all three combined into one. He wow. scored two goals, but I thought his his link play, the fact he won aerial balls, he was always aware of the runners coming beyond him. And you've got Lanzini. 
uh, Anderson and Yarmolenko, who I must admit I completely yeah, forgot about, was out injured for about eight months. Mm. But I think he's... The, I mean, he's. if you look at West Ham's top scorer over the last 20 years, I think I'm right in saying they've never got more than about 13 goals in the Premier League. So they're just not used to having this goal scorer up front. I think he's really transformative for them. Interesting. Well, um, I don't know if that's going to be relevant to this question from Danny Scott, which is which new player would appear to be the best signing so far in the Premier League to borrow NFL parlance, the biggest difference maker? We'll have a think about that. And while we're thinking about that... Here's producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jim. I've got Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. As usual, Lee, let's start with the big game this Sunday. It's Arsenal versus Spurs in the North London derby at the Emirates. Can we have some markets on this one, please? Ah, uh, yes. The North London derby, or as some cruel people dub it, the battle for fifth place. Seems harsh on Spurs, at least. We actually make Arsenal the favourites here. They're 13-10 to win this one. In good nick and at home, why not? Spurs are 15-8. to eight. They aren't far behind Arsenal on the betting and 5-2 to two for the draw. And I have to tell you about a money-back special. It's money-back as a free bet if Arsenal beats Spurs. Yes, seriously. Selected markets only, pre-match singles only, max free bet £10, TNCs apply. Liverpool are setting the pace. They head to turf more on Saturday, but can Burnley take a point off the Reds? <laughs> oh, no, you're actually asking that. OK, um, I could just say no, but I'll tell you the odds instead. Burnley are 8-1 to one to win at home. Or 4-1 to, to get a draw. If you think they'll avoid defeat, you can get 23-10 to 10 in the double chance. But actually, I think Liverpool look like value at 3-10. to 10. That is odds on, but they've been a lot shorter. And surely they'll win this one. Crystal Palace got that win away from home at Old Trafford last weekend. Of course, they're not very good at home at all, as we've been explaining. But can Christian Benteke score for Palace against his old club, Aston Villa? Crikey. Um, it's 5-2 to two that Christian Benteke scores at any time during this match. And actually, maybe I shouldn't be quite so surprised. He is our favourite to score first alongside Wilf Saha at 13-2. Although I have to be honest, I know which one of those I'd rather put my money on. Palace favourites win this one at 6-5. Villa are 23-10. And finally, Lee, bottom club Watford head to the northeast to take on Newcastle. The Hornets got a win midweek in the Cup, so can they get their first win here in the league? Yeah, they definitely need to, don't they? Poor old Javi Garcia up against it. Newcastle, as you probably might expect, the favourites here. They're 6-4 to four to win at St James's Park. Watford are 15-8, to eight, more than double the price. The draw's 21-10. to 10. Watford probably value, but could you really back them at the minute? You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Frida, what's this? Yeah, you have heard it. This is, okay, I'm going to call it Sven Rubens with Langebola Patenk. Ah. All right, yeah. Long ball to Ben, if my Swedish is... Couple song. Yeah, excellent. Was that a big hit in Sweden? I guess so. All right, then. I'm moving on then. I thought that would be more of a thing. I thought maybe that would be just a moment that, you know, a little bit Proustian for you. You'd be kind of transported back. I'm terrible at this. I think I'm more of a, you know, Swedish House Mafia slash Avicii type. All right, next we'll get next time yeah. we'll have some of that in. That was uh, Sven Rubens from '92, before any of us were born, with long ball to Bent, which is all about a football team that was ordered to launch long balls towards their centre forward, the uh, titular Bent, uh, who happened to be the manager's son. I'm not sure how the song finishes. Uh, and neither I suspect to you, Frida, and nor do you care, listener. Isn't that right? So let's move on. Aklak Hanif says, could the Lion be back at Manchester United in January? Frida, this is a Zlatan <laughs> question, isn't it? Yeah, and, um, well, he, he said so himself, but he talks a lot, so uh, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily put anything into that. But, right. yeah, they could, uh, they could use him, couldn't they? They certainly could, but he's not going to come back, is he? To be fair, I wouldn't be surprised and I would love it right. if he came back. Are Swedish fans very excited about how well he's done at, at the Galaxy? Um, both yes and no. He actually shot himself in the foot, basically, when he, you know, with all this talk before um, the World Cup in Russia, you know, with, oh, if I want to be in the national team, then right. I decide for myself. It's not up to the national coach. And, you know, people thought that was a bit too... You know, too much. But, right. I mean, they still love him. It's still the greatest player we ever had. So, 
Excellent. Danny Scott's question then. Come on, everybody. Which new player is going to be the biggest difference maker this year in the Premier League? Michael, have you had long enough to think? I just went through all the Premier League teams and looked at them all right. and thought about the teams. And I'm sorry, it's Sebastian Haller. There you go. But that's an answer, isn't it, Pat? Do you want to agree? You're actually scaring me to death with Haller stuff because I watched him against Manchester City and I thought he stunk. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that was just his first game. Um, he, he, he looked a bit like a donkey, actually. So obviously he wasn't fit. So you, you, <laughs> I, I will watch him, absolutely watch him again. Um, Arsenal needed the defence sorted out. David but Luiz, I'm not yeah. going for David Luiz, <laughs> right. I'm going for Kieran Tierney. Ah, nice, okay. Tierney is, uh, do you know, I love Robertson as a player at Liverpool. Robertson is the second best left back that Scotland have got. Ooh. Tierney's better. When's he going to start for Arsenal? He's got about four weeks left of his uh, recovery um, right. from his injury. But you play him at left back, left centre back, left of a three centre back, or indeed even right back, and he'll be fine. He's one of them. Great. All right. Frida? Um... I might go with the Soyunso Soyunko oh, nice. uh, in Leicester. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that he's been great so far. Um, he stood out in the opening game. And yeah, I think he's going to have a great season. Great feat for a big man as well, as he was displaying the other day. Not the last weekend, the weekend before. I can't remember who they were playing. But yeah, nifty bit of footwork and uh, at the sharp end of the, of the pitch. Now, around Europe this weekend, if you're hungry for some continental football, the Osvelskan... Yeah, uh, has oh a top two clash, uh, AIK against Jurgarden. Yeah, there you go. That's exciting. Really great uh, games. If if you should go to one derby, I think yeah. you should go to a Stockholm derby. Actually. Okay, yeah. cool, brilliant. Uh, in Spain. The big thing is the fact that they're still banging on about Neymar going to wherever he's going to go, but it's not going to happen, I don't think. I don't think it will. Good. Let's move on then. In France, Marseille beat Nice on Wednesday night in a big game on the South Coast. A derby. A derby, in fact, yeah. And that's the first victory then for Andre Villas-Boas. Nice, by the way, and this is curious, he's just been bought by the British billionaire Jim Ratcliffe, who I read is Britain's third richest man and is worth £18 And he also owns Lausanne in Switzerland. And also Ineos, that's his company, who took over Team Sky, the cycling. He was also looking at another club last season. Chelsea. Mm. The suggestion is that it's all... He's working his way up towards the Stamford Bridge outfit. You have to be very careful, though, because if you ruin too many clubs and they end up meeting in Europe, you've got a problem there. Because that's not right. You have to be careful with that one. That's true. In the Bundesliga, listener... Dortmund are at Raphael Honigstein's second favourite team, Union Berlin. So that's nice. Wow, this is huge. Our friends Premier Sport will be showing you this live. Uh, Juventus against Napoli on Saturday night. Wow. Chucky Lozano may feature for Napoli, but Napoli were just so blistering in that. Uh, well, I say blistering, they got off to a slow start, but then they, they look good. Did you see the Fiorentina game, Michael? I did, yeah. It was, well, it was very entertaining. Yeah. Exactly what you want from the first game of the season. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it wasn't actually the first game, well, if it was their first game, yeah. right? It had been preceded by the rather more sedate Juve 1 0 win over Parma, but uh, it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out when the two teams meet, two of the big rivals this year for the title, and what looks like actually being a title race. Uh, the other and perhaps most favoured name for the title this year being Inter. We mentioned the fact that Lukaku scored on his debut and what was a 4-0 win for them Monday night. They're going to be away at Calgary. It'll be interesting to see if Sanchez uh, makes his way into the lineup or the bench for that no, no game. No shocked that they've gone three at the back with the new manager, is there? Seeing as Conte always yeah. does that. Yeah, but it, it, they look good, Yeah, I thought. Anyway. All right. Uh, oh, by the way, on the subject of Italy, I can reveal... Galazzo, we get a lot of questions about this. It will be coming back sometime in October. They don't say which year, actually, but I think they mean this one. So that's something to look out for if you want to hear stories about very old Italian football things. Good. Uh, quickly, let's finish off with uh, this week's question from Andrew Lang. Andrew says, Pat, what do you make of the old firm's chances in Europe and a possible national team resurgence under... Stevie Clark. With Forrest, Jack, McGinn, Fraser, etc. It seems we're on the verge of optimism with both as a Scott. I'm deeply unsettled by this. Can you put Andrew's mind at rest? I can put your mind at rest. You've just mentioned a bunch of midfielders. We're okay in the midfield. 
problem is we haven't got any defenders to send our backs and we haven't got any strikers either. So right. Stevie Clark's still got a massive job to In do. In modern for football, do you need those positions? Uh, it's kind of handy against Belgium. Okay. You know, I think you're going to need defenders now and again if you get Eden Hazard running at you. I see. <laughs> Various players. Uh, Stevie Clark's a fabulous manager and the best that we could possibly get. And I would say that because he's one of my best mates. But Brilliant. he is a fabulous manager. Did a great job with Kilmarnock. But don't hold your breath for this one with Scotland. We're still a distance away. There's always a gap. And at the moment, it's centre forward and centre half. Uh, OK. So the weekend awaits us. Frida, as you mentioned, you're off to Brentford. Have a terrific time there. I hope Pontus turns up. Yeah, let's hope. Brilliant. <laughs> and uh, Michael, you're off to... Where are you off to? Well, I'm not working at a game this weekend, so I'm off to see my local team, Kingstonian, away at Merstham in the Isthmian League. Now, I realise this is very boring, but I think there's a very exciting angle to this because, as I mentioned in one of our summer shows, when Kingstonian needed a new manager this summer, they went out and got Merstham's manager, Hayden Bird. And then when they announced their new signings, they signed 11 players from Merstham. So they took their manager and their whole team, and now they're going back there this weekend no doubt to a chorus of boos from the 150 people who that will be there. That sounds like it's going to be an electric fixture. Mm. Brilliant. And Pat, what are you going to be doing? I'm going to, I might nip over to Motherwell versus Hibs, which is a difficult one for me. Brilliant. Because I used to be chief executive and player at Motherwell. Mm. But Hibs is a team I support. Yeah. Sunshine Elise. Come on. Ivy Scanner. All right. Very good. All right. Well, whatever you're doing, listener, hope you enjoy it. And join us again afterwards on Monday when we will have Tom Williams, Matt Davis Adams, and. Amy Lawrence, what? Joining us here in the Totally Football Show studio. Very good. Excellent. That's it for now. Many thanks to Frida, to Pat and Michael, and you, listener. Have yourself a great weekend. Bye. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Totally Football Show.